I'm always encouraging them to think at a higher level, envision what is possible, not you know what they are looking at operationally, but what is the vision of what they believe could be done, and then taking that vision and communicating it and collaborating to get to what can operationally be done because you've got experts in the room that can do separate components. But if they don't know where they're going as a group of people that you're leading, you can't get there. And so the, I think one of the hardest things for people to make that shift from maybe being a great manager or supervisor or really just great expert, if you're gonna lead people, there needs to be a compelling vision that's achievable Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is a podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders that will help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. Each week, I partner with a journalist to have a conversation with a sitting college president, chancellor, system leader, or someone in the broader ecosystem who's really an inspiring leader. And the goal is to have a conversation to distill their perspective and their insights gathered from their leadership journey. Our hope is that this is inspiring and gives you something to look forward to each week. Welcome. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom. I'm your host, Bridget Burns with the University Innovation Alliance. And I'm Candace Staples, also from the University Innovation Alliance, and I'm standing in for Doug from Inside Higher Ed. And this week's guest is Dr. Becky Takeda Tinker, the president and CEO of Colorado State University Global. And she was previously the chief education and operations innovation officer at the Colorado State University system. Welcome. Thanks so much for coming and joining us. Thank you. Happy to well, be here. And you've had a very extensive career. You know, you've got the corporate background. You also have the really important role about helping, especially with the COVID recovery and distributing all of those funds in the state of Colorado. You've been in Colorado for a while, and you've also been with CSU Global and providing leadership in online space for quite some time. So I feel like you have a lot to, to share with us. Welcome to the show. And we want to start off um, by first getting a sense of how you learned to lead. And I always find it's helpful to ask, did you learn more about leadership from a good example or a bad one? And if you could share a little bit about kind of what you learned about leadership. Thank you. That's a great question. You know, I learned by watching all types of leaders um, on how they genuinely connect with others as human beings. Leadership is truly about human connectedness. No matter what your title is, if people aren't following you, you're not leading. So when I look at around the state in Colorado, the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, with his executive directors on how he shares what he would like to see the state accomplish and what that looks like, how it feels and, and the success of that. Then I look at the chancellor with our board of governors on how he reconciles their ideas with the system and institutional leadership so that we are united in our approaches to accomplishing our respective missions. I've even looked at our and carefully watch our church ministers with their elders, just with us as regular members, and even with the kids, so that learning how they are personally engaging each person so that we are united in our work together. And I've even watched our HOA president in my 
personal neighborhood, uh, seeing how he connects with the people in our subdivision that are unhappy and how he manages to make them feel included in solutions. So not manipulative, but very transparent and caring. And again, connecting with each individual person. So I really believe that leaders of all types, if you can watch them and see how they interact with people and what that success looks like and lack thereof, that we can learn from it. So I am constantly watching and learning and taking note and, and improving uh, even my leadership levels and how I am able to engage and interact with people. I want experiences to be positive ones. What has been the most surprising thing about your career? You know, I would have never thought that everything that I've learned, done, experienced, even from my personal background and, and then, of course, professional life, has been able to be applied to my work at CSU Global and the CSU system. Uh, when they say that God works in mysterious ways, I can absolutely now attest to that as I'm a firm believer. I've seen it play out in my own life. You know, ending up at CSU Global or, or being engaged with them in the early, early years with my father uh, coming out of World War II and in the internment camps, you know, they had no money. And so he ended up putting himself through college, first in his family to go to college, working three jobs. He, uh, you know, I learned this story when I was a kid. He never uh, really could stay in class. He would like drop off his homework, stay for tests, and then, you know, dart off to his next job so that he could pay for college and actually graduate as an electrical engineer, ironically, and, and did that successfully. Uh, and when I learned about CSU Global and the opportunity that it was working to provide for non-traditional adult and, and working students, really different, you know, fully online, um, available anytime, anywhere type services, that the vision of it really then reconciled with what I had heard my father speak about. So from those early, early childhood years up through all my turnaround work, I, I was in private equity. I worked in seven different industries during turnaround work, second stage to get them to a transaction for uh, for the partners that I would report into. Uh, but that type of work, having to pull people together and you know where they maybe weren't successful or the organization wasn't where it needed to be and getting everybody united and moving forward, coming into CSU Global before it had launched, trying to get it, help it get launched uh, and then eventually help it get uh, independently accredited as the first in the nation to be a state a nonprofit institution to get that independent accreditation was just significant. Um, so how ironic it is that all of that work from my childhood years all the way up into my professional life in private equity before I stepped down from that, how it all came into play to do the work that I'm able to do for CSU Global, the CSU system in Colorado. Uh, in the, C the CSU system is the state's land grant from the Morrill Act of 1862, which means we have this obligation and duty to ensure that the state has the educated, trained workers it needs for economic development, growth, and stability. And so, again, my passion about helping people get to where they need to go for their own professional and personal success all has aligned with CSU Global. Who would have ever thought, you know, coming from my background into private equity and then into Colorado and ending up in a state nonprofit system would have evolved uh, to this now where I'm at, uh, again, uh, being the president of CSU Global. So 
You'll never know where it all goes to, but I, I don't believe, and I say this all the time to my team, there is not, nothing as wasted hard work. It will all apply to something. We just don't know where and when. So I'm curious about the online piece. On one hand, I, so I have a little two questions, so I'm cheating. I want to know, have you ever taken online classes? Because I think that's super interesting because I've met some online leaders who have dabbled only after taking the role. And the other is, I'm just wondering if you think that it takes a different type of leadership style to lead an online institution versus a brick and mortar um, institution, because I think you're probably making different decisions. You probably need to be a little bit different in terms of how much you communicate and your style. So I just want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, that is that is a great question. Questions. So my background, a lot of the turnaround work that I did, um, I worked on U.S. robotics, smart modular technologies. We're tech based, so I'm very comfortable in the sector. But we know that technology works at speed. Uh, we think about our phones, right? It seems like every other week, if not day, I'm getting updates on my phone. It's constantly evolving, highly dynamic. And so to lead an online or technology-driven institution means that people's expectations, number one, of responsiveness, questions, needs, it's got to be in that real-time uh, environment. There is no waiting around. There's no, I'll get back to you next week. We try to get back to students within 24 hours because in the world of online, that can even seem long. So if we can get back to them same day, in a couple hours, that's what we're doing because, again, the experience with technology is that there is this very responsive, um, always-on type uh, expectation. And that is how we all individually operate, even with our cell phones, right? So if you take that experience and then apply it to learning, and then you think about our type of learners who are non-traditional, very busy lives, juggling work, family responsibilities, community engagements, there is a lot going on in their lives. And so they need the level of responsiveness that fits within their life. And that is one of the reasons that they're not only online because they can study and have access to resources anywhere, anytime, but also because they need that speed and responsiveness. It's very consumer driven in a way in terms of the responsiveness that we have to have as an online technology driven institution. And um, I, you know, have great friends at the CSU system and our more traditional on ground campuses. And that is just a different pace, but it, it's expected there versus if you're online and you're a student and you want an answer and you've texted or chatted somebody from the institution, you're expecting an answer, if not immediately, certainly no later than the end of the day, if possible. It is a different environment and it keeps you hopping. And because of the dynamics, uh, because of technology and how dynamic it is, it's always evolving. So we're always, even as staff and faculty, learning and trying to keep up and working with the students who are also encountering new things in industry, which with COVID, and everything being technology grounded now in that, industry is going to be moving a lot faster than I had originally thought it would, given where we were three years ago, and we're here. The speed of industry is definitely faster and only going to get faster when we think about AI in particular. That is going to drive learning at a hyper speed, and we're gonna to have to all try to keep up. Hi, I'm Ray Magliozzi, co-host of NPR's Car Talk. 
If you're working to solve the biggest challenges in higher education, you've come to the right podcast. And if you're looking for a student retention platform proven to get results, check out Mainstay.com. I may be biased because the CEO of Mainstay just happens to be my son. So instead of taking my word for it, you can trust the research they've done with Georgia State, Brown, and Yale as proof that Mainstay improves enrollment, retention, and well-being. Visit Mainstay.com research to learn more. So you mentioned faith leaders and bringing together multiple stakeholders. Um, and in looking at your bio, that included K-12, military. So with these different industries and your tech background, how do you shape your language? How do you bring together the partners? How do you create the buy-in to CSU Global? Yeah, well, even in the early days when online really wasn't widely accepted, it was about proving it out. We track data at every level so that we understand what the students are learning, how often they're in the classroom, um, what their responses are in terms of the assignments and how they're doing with the assignments in the classes. We listen to our faculty. And when we think about the different industries, we are really partnering with them. We have aligned with industry certification exams. A lot of our courses, we actually have that up on our website now, but specific courses leading to industry exam and industry certification examinations, uh, groups of courses leading to uh, industry recognized certifications, being as an ROI for our students, our mission is workplace and professional success for our students. And so in order to help ensure that, the tracking of data, understanding where they are at every level, where, where they go past graduation and how they're doing. And now with industry certification so widely available and uh, being sought after by employers, that alignment that we know we're equipping them to be ready for job opportunities, promotions, and new careers should they decide to go into that, being really key and, and making sure that they stack into longer term degrees if that's what they want to do. But for sure, whatever it is they're taking with us, we want to make sure that they are walking away immediately with something that they've learned. We, we love it. Uh, I see it in the classrooms all the time where they'll learn something in week one and then they're back recording week two, how they applied what they learned in terms of theory or a technique, um, an accounting uh, solution and the response from their peers and their bosses and that is wonderful because then I know that the work that we are doing, because it's hard work, we also don't receive state funds. So we have to operate very leanly um, and we do that. But when they, when the students are coming back and telling us that they are moving themselves forward and how proud they are of what they've learned, that is the reward. And I just enjoy that so much that the work that we are doing is real and has uh, measurable impact and we have data to prove it. So that is how we roll along uh, with that type of work. I guess I want to shift to your specific style of leadership and the way that you choose to show up and how you um, how you lead your teams. And I guess the, the first question I want to ask is actually around the hardest thing that you've had to do as a leader, because I feel like that really is the most illuminating in terms of style. So, but it also just gives people a sense of kind of the hard things that you have to do as a leader. So I'm just wondering if you can share, um, looking back, you've had a very extensive career. I'm sure you've had lots of hard things to do. Um, is there one thing that was particularly the hardest that you learned the most from? 
I look to ensure that we're all accountable. Um, so it's not necessarily hard, but it can be exhausting to always, you know, ask people what they can do, ask people what they want to do, what they can get to, and then hold them accountable so that the interactions are genuine. I'm, as you, you haven't figured out already, I'm pretty candid. Um, I don't mince words. And so when I have this ongoing conversations, even with the current CSU Global team that I've come back to, uh, I'm very much about accountability and holding them accountable to what they commit to, holding myself accountable to what I say I will do. And so that we, particularly as a nonprofit state institution, ensure integrity from all sides. Um, in fact, we were on with one of our vendors that works with our engagement team yesterday and the owner of the company or CEO of the company was there. And I was very direct in terms of they contracted, they put together the, their uh, work order and what they could achieve and they're not getting there and they didn't really have any reasons why. And I was pretty clear you know, this is what they committed to. They need to let me know why they aren't getting to what they need or what they had committed to and how we can help all get there. We are a team, whether you're an internal person, an external person, as stakeholders in state nonprofit institutions, trying to move people forward for workplace success and for state and national economic development and stability. We're all in this together. And so that accountability can get boring, but it's got to be done. And I do it regularly because it helps ensure the integrity from everybody. And this is what we do as a state nonprofit. Uh, it may be, you know, and I've been in, I've been in private equity. Yeah. So, hey, I know that world too. And when I would work with teams, even in that, uh, in the companies that we were working to turn around and get to a transaction level, I was always very transparent and asked them what they could do and then held them accountable. And I think measuring what you think you can do to what you actually can do can be illuminating to individuals themselves so that they're not overcommitting and overpromising and that can, they can be more um, genuine in what they can actually achieve so that we can all get to success. and. Mm -hmm. That is the work that we do here with data-driven outcomes and facing the realities of our own human limitations is part of that work. I like uh, I like the simplicity of that example because honestly, it's very relatable that it's the human nature to want to be liked. Yeah. And it is the most basic thing, right? We all want to fit in. We all want people to like us, especially women, right? Like we've been socialized as such. And yeah. so that is actually the example of leadership is that you have to be willing to not be liked because you have to say the thing. And it, that is a sacrifice because it is going counter to our most basic training and socialization. That's a great example. And it is it is the hard thing, but it is it's the right thing. So that's great. What advice do you find yourself giving to younger people coming up in leadership roles most often? Hmm. That is a good question as well. I am always for leaders who, is in, who are interested in innovative leadership. I'm always encouraging them to think at a higher level, envision what is possible, not you know, what they are looking at operationally, but what is the vision of what they believe could be done? And then taking that vision and communicating it and collaborating to get to 
what can operationally be done because you've got experts in the room that can do separate components. But if they don't know where they're going as a group of people that you're leading, you can't get there. And so the, I think one of the hardest things for people to make that shift from maybe being a great manager or supervisor or really just great expert, if you're going to lead people, there needs to be a compelling vision that's achievable. And in order for it to be achievable, you've got to then circle back and collaborate so that everybody can contribute to how we could actually get to that vision. And, you know, your vision may or may not really shift. Usually I find that it doesn't. It's, you know, high enough that it's and big enough that it is where we're headed and this is the goal. And then when everybody can contribute to how we're going to get there, they're included and they feel heard and they understand their role so that they too can contribute at an operational level and through their own communication to their peers and people that work for them on what, where it is we are going and what those people's roles could all be. And that uh, communication is so vital. And then I also share with leaders, it's your job if you're going to lead an initiative, you're taking risk. You know, at the highest level, I take all the risk and all the blame if something goes terribly wrong. But regrouping when you're not getting to the goals and saying we're not doing it or I thought we could do it. We're clearly not there yet. Now we're going to circle back and we're going to reiterate this and try it again and see if we can't get there maybe a slightly different way and circling the wagons and getting everybody working together again on plan B, plan C, plan D, so that we can actually still get to the bigger vision. If everybody really bought into that and said, yeah, this is where we need to go. This is what will help uh, our stakeholders, our students in the case of CSU Global, whatever it is we're doing as leaders, that if it's been identified and everybody's bought in, then it's just a matter of figuring out how we're going to get there. And sometimes, again, people overestimate their ability or thought it was going to be easier. And when it comes down to it, it's not. That's okay. As long as you can quickly regroup and try again to get there. And if it actually is a bad move and it's a failure, the leader at the highest level has got to take that ownership. It is his or her um, fault, if there's going to be blame. I try so hard to let people know that, you know, we've got to try new things. And particularly with every industry now being driven by technology and the speed of change, we've got to try new ways to help people learn quickly and be upskilled in a way that's beneficial to them. Not everything's going to be a huge success and it's no one's fault, but it's absolutely incumbent upon us to continue to keep moving and regrouping and looking at the data and fit and making our way to the actual goal that we had intended and making sure again through a data because it's very objective are we there yet or have we exceeded or are we still short and just continuing that work it takes so much grit and tenacity to lead in today's world and it's not going to get easier with the increasing speed driven again by technology into the future. I can definitely see the private equity background and that you've worked uh, and observed and evaluated a multitude of companies uh, and you have that kind of outside perspective, but then you're inside your own thing. So it's gotta be, it's, it's very useful. I'm sure you've been given a lot of advice, um, but I'm curious about what advice has served you personally best 
um, in your career? Is there any one piece that really stood out that you can share with us? And who gave it to you? It was my father. From the time I was young, he always said, do what makes you happy. Yeah. And I grew up in a Japanese family. You can imagine, you know, that pressure and all that. But he was always the one to say, if it's not making you happy, why are you doing it? And I have only done work that I have enjoyed. So helping people advance themselves to their goals, even when I was in private equity, I love that work because when we would do the transaction, all the employees could benefit and they could send their kids to school or college. They could take that vacation they never got to take. Um, so helping them get to their personal goals just made me so happy. Uh, when I think about the work I do with at CSU Global or the CSU system, helping even one student at a time get to a better professional position, or when, again, when I read on the discussion boards what they're doing with the information they're learning from us, it just makes me so happy that we are really helping people. And because I know that that's what makes me happy, that's where I spend my time. And my dad was right because my life has been never easy, but always enjoyable. And I love the work that I do. I am so grateful for the people that I get to work with, uh, both at the system and at CSU Global and the state of Colorado and, and really around the world and military. I got back from a, a national defense forum that I got invited to attend and understanding what's going on in their world and how we could help them uh, help ourselves uh, when we think about national defense was just such an enjoyable experience, exhausting as it may have been, to then know that I have a capacity to help. And because that makes me happy, I have had a very good life and I'm just so grateful for that. And I, I encourage everybody to do what makes them happy because life is too short and we spend, especially if you're talking about work, uh, we spend way too much time at work, um, even in today's post-COVID world, that if it's not something that brings you joy, there are way too many other things that you could be doing. And I would be happy to help you get there. So um, you can link me in and I will help. But uh, I work with individuals who I find in random places who are looking for support and I am happy to step in there and, and connect them and do whatever it is I can because I enjoy it and it does really move our world forward in a positive way. And I think all of us want to ensure we have a better world uh, than when we came and it's just great work. So grateful for my dad uh, who, Passed away in 2021, but I'm sorry, every day off. I wake up and I think, you know, he, that man sure knew what he was talking about. Yeah, that's great advice. And it's great advice to have as a North Star. So I can attest that um, that you, I can already, I can see that you're a great mentor because you already tried to uh, recruit Dr. Candace Staples to become a president. She's currently a senior director of Alliance Engagement, but um, you know, I, I love I love that you're already out here recruiting. Um, and I, I do think that she would make it a great president. So, but not, hopefully not today, just <laughs> she's running some important stuff for us. So, well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been really wonderful getting to know you and learning a bit more about your perspective and your journey. And we just have really appreciated that. So thank you for joining us. And Dr. Staples, thank you for being an excellent co-host. I think that Doug Lederman should be nervous 
nervous about his job. Just kidding. All right, you all at home, we will see you soon. 